Welcome to episode four of Mountain Mosaic. This is the second part of my focus on mentorship. This episode features the wonderful, psyched, and caring Knute Rocky. Knute told me a story after we finished recording his interview, and I feel that this story is the best way to introduce him in the interview. He told me of his 40th birthday party, and a present to himself was a bottle of scotch worth, quote-unquote, a mortgage payment. And he was thinking about what to do with the scotch, you know. Is it better to milk it over a few years and have a glass every now and then and just relish how good this tastes? Or pop it open at this birthday party and wish it away with the people that he loves the most he did the latter of course and he says you know it was fantastic and he wanted to share with the people that he loved and he did and it was awesome and a young Sam Tucker elbowed the glass I guess and spilled his glass and Canute just said he immediately poured half of his into Sam's this is a conversation with Knut. What? Why is Sarah? Happy Halloween! Wow, 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 very nice. We're going to have a conversation, um, and then I'll kind of edit it. And I always like to, like, at least right now, I always like to send people before I publish it. I like to send it and be like, hey... Do you think this is an accurate portrayal? Like, my words are my words. Once they've left my mouth, they're no longer my property. Don't worry about that. That's really cool. I appreciate that a lot. I think that's a so cool thing. Um, well, what it does mean is you take ownership of what you say before you say it. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. We're sitting in a basement drinking wonderful... My first whiskey that isn't Jameson or Golden Wedding. Have you had Golden Wedding before? No, I have not. Oh my god. <laughs> One thing is, um, I appreciate good whiskey, and um, most people who will be listening to this will will know, and many of them will have drunk whiskey here. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a bit of a homage in the community. <laughs> um, I always try to think of a broad kind of question that can introduce, because sometimes, you know, like, I don't know you super well, but I've interviewed people I know really well, and I try to think of a unique question that can introduce you in a intimate way for the listener you know that they can get because of course one interview no one will know you for sure hopefully hopefully not i I hope not yeah (laughs) i have four belly buttons (laughs) um so i guess my question run with it walk with it do whatever you want how did you become what you are now crucial points in your life standout moments forks in the road and take as much time as you need to think about it, too, like I said. Um, a couple of people will, will know many of the, the stories before because I used them as coaching props. Because um, when I was coaching a lot, one thing that I would use was my personal experiences to try and help kids through their experiences. Not because my path was right, but because the process to get to the answer might be helpful for some kids. Um, so turning points in my life or turning points in climbing? Uh, in your life. 
Um, probably a very significant turning point in my life uh, was actually discovering climbing. Yeah, you told um, me the story. It was f- fucking I, awesome. I got very scared. Um, but so much of my life has revolved around climbing since then, it would be impossible to say it wasn't significant. Um, but it's significant in a way I can't really put words to. I didn't realize the change as it happened. It wasn't a eureka moment. It wasn't a, you know, oh my God, I finally discovered the thing. It was just like, we had a really awesome day. I'd like to do another really awesome day. It sort of just and, snowballed. Yeah, and, and that, that becomes, that was a great summer. I'm psyched for next summer. And that becomes, you know, wow, the 90s were awesome. I can't wait to see what happens <laughs> in the 2000s. <laughs> And, and and so it goes, right? And, and you just get addicted to... Um, you get addicted to the scene, the people, trying hard things, learning about yourself along the way, learning what you're good at, what you're not good at, things to work on, things to rely on. Um, more than anything, I think climbing as an endeavor shows you and highlights and presents to you your weaknesses. It, it's really easy to walk away from a day climbing, categorizing all of the reasons why you failed. It's really easy. That's an easy trap to fall into as a climber because you could be the world's best crimp climber. You're, you're a demon on crimps and you're going up a route that's all crimps and then you hit the first pinch and fall. You don't walk away from the climb thinking, wow, I'm good at crimps. You walk away from the climb thinking, I suck at pinches. And, that, and, and that's one of the traps we can fall into. And so, you know, discovering climbing helped me realize my weaknesses, but it also made me look for my strengths and made me look at, okay, so I'm, I, I'm a little too, I'm wound too tight. I'm a little too twitchy. So I got to work on that but I'm excellent at these other three things. And so I'll rely on that. And so climbing forced me to be honest with myself about both strengths and weaknesses. Do you think it also helped you kind of like find peace in those insecure, not insecurities maybe necessarily, but those weaknesses, you know what I mean? Like instead of being like, oh, I just suck at this. It's like, you know what? Like I got to work on this and that's okay. Nah. No. Um, that came later. Okay. And, and that was actually one of the turning points I was going to come up to. Um, fewer people know this part, but when I was a young climber, I was not a good, healthy person to be around. Um, I would scream a lot. I would have hissy fits. I would throw my chalk bag at the wall. Um, and it's because I cared so much about being a good climber, I, I blurred the line between Knut and climber. So if I had a good day climbing, I became a good person. But if I had, conversely, if I had a bad day climbing, it meant I was a failure as a human being. And, and so it took me a couple of years of pushing hard in, the, in, in climbing to separate from, separate those two things. That I could have a terrible day climbing, but it doesn't change who I am. Um, or I could have a great day climbing, it doesn't make doesn't, me a better human yeah, being. Yeah, totally. Um, that's Because that's a whole other side of it is that all of a sudden you think that if you send your project or something, you're, all your problems are going to be solved. You wrap your ego up in it yeah. is what happens. Um, 
Yeah, and and so, you know, it took a couple epiphanies along the way to 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 break that cycle, and it's really dumb and and incredibly silly. But what what broke that cycle for me was watching a video of Fred Nicole climbing. Was him? It's an old video, and he came ripping off a problem, and hit the bouldering mats, and because of my behavior patterns, I expected on the video him to explode and have a hissy fit because that's, that's what climbing because that's what I would do. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. He just went, "Oh, man, this climb is nice," and walked off. And 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 it, it was just this like aha moment of you can try hard and you can succeed and you can fail and you can have fun and push and enjoy the process irrespective of that of that outcome. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, it's a whole lot more liberating. And that that moment led to me being a whole lot happier as a climber, as a human being, as a coworker. Um, it led to me coaching. It led to me being able to help some young guys on my team who would have complete spaz fits when they came yeah. off. Because I could recognize in them what happened in me. Like you, I could see echoes. And when you can see that and you can identify and you have a relationship with the kid, you can They help. trust you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there. I guess the last turning point in my early life I would touch on was my swim coach you know, way back when I was like... You were a swimmer. Yeah, I swam competitively for years. Cool. Um, but a dude called Stefan Yarshi was my swim coach. And he was so kind and so understanding and put up with me as a, a high twitch high neurotic 15 year old and, and was just unfailingly patient and it, I never really realized how good he had been for me and I wasn't I wasn't easy to be around but he had the patience of Job and just kept working with me, took me golfing you know, like the this the swim coach went out of his way to try and help and, and teach a couple little life lessons along the way, which I still carry today. And I hadn't talked to him in years. And when I um, I was interviewed by Gripped, Vicky Weldon wrote a little article about me, mm-hmm. um, and I was thinking a lot about it. So I actually ended up tracking Stefan down after cool. like twenty years yeah, and just okay. sending him a thank you. So, I bet that meant a lot to him. I have no idea if it did or if it didn't, um, but it meant something to me to say thank you to mm-hmm. to you know the the dude who was so genuine and kind and and patient with me. So yeah, and it's, then the biggest turning point is having a kid. Yeah, yeah. But I was gonna. I actually have some notes that I was going to talk about that a little later after we talk about some other stuff. Um, Your song sheet, I'll just dance. <laughs> Cheers, man. I appreciate that. Cool. So, what, so what's next? Um, yeah. Well, I was actually going to... It's f- funny, like, it made me think of a story. I'll move on in a second, but... I When I got into climbing, I was, like... A little ignorantly bold, per se. You know what I mean? Like, where, like, when you first start climbing, you, like, start to feel a little invincible after that first hump, and... And I was a bit like that. It made me think of that point, you know what I mean? Where you're like, 
something mellows you out or not mellows you out. I don't know if that's the right word, but anyways, centers you. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. We were trying the AA call route on Mount Athabasca. Oh wow. My friend and I just like the normal yep. route like and cuz you'd have been young for that. 16, yeah, and yeah. we were like my friend and I like had just been doing a bunch of scrambles. We hadn't even really I took a glacier travel course like the October before or something and I was like, yeah, yeah, we got this. And we woke up at 2 a.m. from my Jeep and, like, got lost in a blizzard. Probably, like, no more than, like, 200 meters from the parking lot. And then I hadn't ate anything, so I got really sick and, like, dizzy. And then we finally got on route, and then we watched our route just get pummeled with avalanches. And it was just like, hmm. Yeah, like, you can't be a dick out here. You know what I mean? The mountains have a way of keeping us honest about ourselves, about our limitations. And also just that it shows you maybe like how insignificant you are. And I almost find that empowering. Yeah, there's two ways to approach nihilism. You know, there, there, you, you can be the nihilist of nothing matters, so why bother? And you can be the nihilist where it's nothing matters, so that means I can do anything. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's kind of what it, yeah, what climbing is kind of a big microcosm of that a little bit. Who are your climbing heroes? Who, who are the people that you like, really like? Oh man. Um, geez, on the spot, it's always kind of tricky. Hey, this is like some good, this is some good empathy for this whole process, Knut. Thank you. I really like Ethan Pringle. Nice. He's a good soul. I think Ethan Pringle seems like a... He's a lovely gentleman. And I mean gentleman. Like, I mean, he, he is a, a straight-up guy. I, my, my few encounters with him have been universally positive. That's awesome. There, there's a good dude. Yeah. Yeah, and he just... I don't know. Like, have you seen his Lorena Mora video? Maybe. You should watch it again. I consume an obscene amount of online content for, <laughs> for climbing, so... <laughs> so many of us there's, do. There, there's a high likelihood I've watched it five times, but it blurred with everything karate. Everything else you've watched five times. Yeah, exactly. So, um, if, if Ethan ever listens to this, no offense, I'm sure it's a great video. <laughs> oh man, that'd be cool. Um, but anyways, it's... Um, he just... It, he gets kind of... Oh, honest it is good it's kind of like have you seen jumbo love like his jumbo love real rock yeah yeah um it's similar to that and that he gets a little honest about like the ugly parts of the process where you don't believe in yourself and this and that and i think just like that like learning to love yourself through the process and i don't know being okay with 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 coming up short day in day out and just learning that it doesn't like you said like it has nothing to do with who you are. You know what I mean? The end result has nothing to do with who you are. The process. The process. It's a lovely thing. When you learn to love it, and I... Yeah, and he, like, has really... Just his videos, you know, have really taught me that. That, like, and reminded me that. I had... Um, we tried the backbone for three straight weeks this fall, my friend and I. And um, the first pitch is, like... If you do the direct version, the first pitch is, like, a mixed, like a 12c mixed route it's beautiful it's amazing you climb like a boulder problem into a finger crack 
it's really cool, like a really diverse array. And I was really not in a good headspace for leading above small gear. Like, just didn't believe in myself. Was in a, and I watched that video. There's no good headspace to lead in small gear. I think there's a, there's a line for sure, but I really wasn't be feeling positive. And I watched that video and I was like, you know what? Like, you can do this. So, yeah. And a long answer, Ethan Pringle, Sonny, for sure. Sonny's another solid dude. Yep. He probably doesn't remember this either, but I met, I ran into him in Squamish, um, that summer, last summer, and he was like, we were all at Chekamis, and him and his friend had like come up, and we were cooking dinner, and I started chatting, I walked over and started chatting with him, and, and he was like, you know, like, and it was kind of one of those random, almost Hallmark moments, where like, it was just like this like thing, and he was like, <laughs> he was like, I first climbed all these routes back in like I don't know what year I don't want to mis misname the year and he's like and it was just me and my friends out here you know and now I see it's busy and he just like looked at me and he was like just enjoy it right now he's like because it'll change and it's okay but enjoy it right now yep he was right and that was like that gave me a lot of presence for that summer I think which was cool and that was sunny that was sunny yeah yeah I, yes. could, I could hear sunny saying that he's a, yeah He's a cool guy, and he's one one of the like you're, you and I were saying earlier, just a dude that's psyched, you know. A little piece of trivia, you know that he put up Canada's first fifteen or fourteen D, yeah. I didn't know that. There you go. The one at Lion's Head. Yep. That's cool. Is that the one that he popped his pulley on? That's the that's one. so fucked up, dude. That's so yeah. fucked up. He did both ring. I think he, uh, I might have the story wrong, but I thought he did both ring fingers, on the the double pocket move. And then finished on blown ring fingers. Yeah, and then he was like, I, I can't climb for like a month or something. Like, I might as well. Like, I have to finish. Fucking blaze of glory. Do you have a mantra? No. No, I, I genuinely don't. Cool. Um, I have snippets of mantras or concepts. But genu genu generally speaking, no. Okay, then a different Although, question. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, I have a friend who has a mantra, and his mantra resonates with me from time to time. And it's, um, you, you gotta think about it just a little, but it's, um, it's later than you think. And it's all those people who say, man, I'd love to go do uh, Snowpatch Spire. But maybe next year. It's later than you think. And then before you know it, that next year is five years out. And then before you know it, you are married with kids. And then before you know it, you're too old to hike in. Right? And, 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 and those, you know, there's a very real trap of not, okay, you want to do it? Go do it. Go do it now. Be, because you don't know if tomorrow you'll be able to. You don't know if um, you end up getting transferred to Wichita. You don't know fucking if Wichita. yeah, fuck Wichita. <laughs> um, but 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 his mantra makes sense to me because he's been a friend for twenty years. Mm -hmm. It took us sixteen years to go do something we talked about because we just kept on it kept on sliding for all kinds of good reasons. But we should have just, you know, oh for God's sake, let's just go do it and yeah. gotten in the car and driven off and, and gone and done it. Yeah. Um, that's a cool I, and, and so it's later than you think that's brilliant and the older you get the more that one resonates when you're 18 
means nothing to you because 19, 20, 21, 22, you bet. I guess you, I guess like. But your 20s are going to be gone before you know it, Nat. Yeah. I'm just putting it out there. No, you're right. It goes fast. Seasons disappear in a blink. And you go, man, I really wish that instead of going to that party, I'd actually gone out and tried my project one more time because it meant I didn't get it this year. Right. And, and and you just start adding those things up and you start realizing if it's something you care about, it's later than you think. And I think, I mean, I don't know. I hope for people listening to this too, like at least what I'm getting is what a shame to something I've realized with climbing is I've, I'm so lucky to have these amazing friends and these amazing people that have taught me these things. You've had some good mentors. I really have, and I'm really grateful. You were very lucky to have Mount Lucas take you under his wing because he's a solid dude who's got some solid skills, and his passion is an interesting one. It's no less or more than mine or yours, Um, but his, his passion for the mountains ebbs and flows in this incredibly fluid way between disciplines and activities and spaces but he's psyched to be out like he's psyched to be out there mm-hmm. he's... yeah and I had Matty Ice that first summer who did more than he'll, he'll ever know probably you had Sam Tucker I bark had... at you about technique and Sam barked this is a funny one this is a funny one I talked to Tyson about this a little bit too Sam like I just done wiki gravity on gear and I was like nice. and I was Props. like thanks anyways and I was like I was talking to Luke one day at Kara, and Sam was with us, and I didn't really know Sam that well. I was like, I think, I think I'm going to solo with gravity. You know, like, I think I could do it. I think that would be awesome. And Luke was like, yeah, like, cool. And then Sam, like, pulled me aside and was like, Nat, fucking listen to me. Like, you are not, like, like you are not going to solo with gravity yet. Like, you are, don't be a fucking idiot. And, like, tore me a new one. And then, of course, as Sam always does, like, he texted me. He was like, dude, I'm really sorry. Like, I didn't want to hurt, you know, but I'm so grateful for that. No, soloing's a funny thing. So long is. It is. And I mean, I, w- I just wasn't, and in hindsight, like, and that's what I love about Sam is that he's just like, he's a homie and he, and he cares about you and he shows it in an honest and blunt way. And I, I think that that's, to have someone like that in your life is crucial. Sam is one of my favorite human beings. <laughs> And I have referred to him before as my first son. Because um, I coached Sam from when he was eight or nine until he was 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. Um, you watched him grow up. We grew together. I, I, it, straight up, I was a different coach when I finished than when I started. And Sam plays a huge part in, in my personal growth. Sam and I have gone to Waco together and Smith and, and like you know we, we've traveled together we've been in Ecuador together we've you know hugged after comps we like there, I have so many special times with Sam mm-hmm. and I didn't have my own kid yet and in a certain way he was he was the the next best thing. I don't know how else to put it. Like, he wasn't my kid, mm-hmm. but he was as close as I was going to get. And we just had this this amazing growth together uh, of um, both learning about ourselves, both 
becoming better at who we were. Uh, and yeah, so he will always have a very special place in my heart. And, and anyone listening to this knows that Sam hearing this will be like, yeah, you've said that before. Shut up. Um, you know, there's, there's no secret about that one. You know, Sam, Sam was, Sam, you can't, you can't coach somebody for 10 years and sit into ISO with them through 60 comps and pick each other off the mat after, you know, things go wrong and celebrate with each other when things go right and not end up loving each other to a certain degree. So, yeah, Sam. That's special. You're lucky to have Sam. Sam's, Sam yeah. is... I think the Bow Valley is lucky to have Sam. Sam's actually... Um, the Bow Valley is absolutely lucky to have Sam, and Sam has not yet hit peak Sam. Sam Sam's got... You've got a long ways to go, Sam. He knows what I mean. We love you, Sam. We love you, Sammy. Sam. Sammy... <laughs> awesome. Um, that's that's a, actually a really good natural transition because you talk about growing this relationship and this mentorship, really, and this menteeship. I don't know if that's the right word. But anyways, mentorship is something that is... How about manateeship? <laughs> I be, like be, this. Be, becoming manatees to becoming each other. Becoming manatees. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Um... Manatees and climbing totally is something that is largely unspoken. You know what I mean? Mentorship is this prevalent thing that isn't really... It's not unspoken at all. I, I completely okay, awesome. disagree with you. Climbing is... The history of climbing is steeped in mentorship. I, Everything about well, I guess what I'm trying to mentorship. say is that... And I agree with you. And what I'm trying to say is that... But it's not like you go up to someone and you say, Hey, Nat, I'm your mentor. Do you know what I mean? And so how did how does that fall into place? Like obviously through coaching, but how is it that Sam No, it's not through coaching, it's through the sport itself. Um it's I, I think the nature of climbing is unique in sports. Um partly due to the safety, partly due to the partnership aspect, partly due to um the objective hazards. And so so you end up in these situations with people. And the situations force you to look out for each other and gravitate to each other and, and, and have each other's back. The very, the very nature of being a climbing partner is when you're climbing and I'm blaying you, I have your back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm climbing and you're blaying me. I trust you. It's the very, it's the very core. Even like you could say bouldering is different, but no, you're spotting me. You're keeping my head off that rock over there. That will crack it like an egg. Right. So, so mentorship is not the exception in climbing. It, it's the rule. It's the norm. It's the absolute, um, integral, um, building block. And you look at every, every climber who's done anything that you've read about in a, in a magazine and you say, did you have any mentors? And they will start listing them. Oh, when I was at this crag, I ran into this guy and he gave me these pointers and I will always thank him for that. Um, who did you have? I, who, uh, Dave Dornian. D 
Dave, Dave Dornian, who's the black pope of Canadian climbing, and every competitive climber in Canada owes Dave more than they could possibly know. Word. So Dave... Um, oddly, and I'll never forgive myself for saying this, but J.D. LeBlanc. Uh, J.D. taught me what it was to push, what it was to... to try so hard on a climb that you are, you know, screaming and bleeding from the eyeballs. And and JD tried harder than anybody I knew. Why would you why do why will you never forgive yourself? Cuz he's not going to let me live it down. <laughs> me me saying this will haunt me for the rest of my days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um God, who who are, who are my other mentors? Sam. Sam was a mentor. Sam at 14 was teaching me more than, than I can, you know, possibly summarize. Uh, if you go into Mech and there's a picture in the climbing section of a guy on Chain Reaction. Okay. Do you know the picture? No, I don't. Okay, so there, there's a guy called Simon Parbusing, and he was a bit of a legend. And he, you know, he was early strong and... and, and... Oh, Walsentai. I'm going to lump Walsentai in there as a mentor. Um, like I'm cataloging partners, and <laughs> I guess it's it, it ties back to what you said. Like it's just so intertwined with what you do every day when you climb. Part of it is you learn from every partner. Oh, of every, course, every single climbing experience. Every like, I'm 46. I've been climbing for 30 some years. You're 18, and I've been climbing for two. Mm-hmm. I learned something from you tonight watching you on my home wall. Yeah, and I, I learned. I I learned climbing with you if and and i love that i love the fact that you can always pick up little details and and for you it was that bloody gaston problem and watching how you're setting your right shoulder and moving over your left foot in a way that i couldn't quite put together and i I still don't quite get it but i know the problem and i'll be working on it i'll probably text you when i send fuck yeah that's yeah yeah, you and you're totally right it's it's You've kind of opened my eyes a little bit in that, in that it's, it's a, it's not, I mean, yeah, you have those hallmark moments, you know, where someone like pulls you aside or someone says something to you, but it's, it's this mosaic of things. You know what I mean? I learned from Matt Lucas. I learned from Vicki Weldon. I learned from a young lady in Austria called Catherine LeClam. Um, there's a dude in Bread Creek called Dom who has taught me more about more than I can put into words. Oddly, Sam does leap to the top of the list in terms of mentorship, despite the fact that he is literally half my age. Um, partly because of the growth we had together. And Dave Dornian. Those two. I'm going to stick with Sam and Dave. Okay. Cause Dave, Great band. Dave picked me up hitchhiking when I was 16. That's how you guys met? Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he <laughs> no shit. Pulled over, like I was hitchhiking at the edge of the city. Um, to go climbing, find a partner, do anything. And he skidded to a stop in a cloud of cigar smoke in a rusty Volvo. <laughs> and um, basically yelled something to the effect of, hey kid, get in. And... Um, the rest is history. Yeah, and, and like, D- Dave's the real deal. D- Dave's the real deal in, in, you know, pick something in climbing. He's been there, done that. Pick the longest ice route in North America. Oh yeah, that was his first ascent. But 
you don't hear about it. Slipstream? No, the longest ice route in North America is likely something called uh, some kind of monster up on, I think it's Mount Hunter, but it's up in Alaska. In Alaska, okay. And, and it's, it's a 3,000 foot continuous ribbon of ice. Holy shit. Yeah, I, Dave spent 28 hours on front points. But no, 28 so, hours? Can you imagine your calves? I, I was climbing with him that summer, and he was still trying to work the knots out of his calves. <laughs> he suffered for that one. But no, Dave, Dave my, partly, partly the reason Dave's a mentor is because he gave so much back to climbing. He was not a taker. He quietly gave and gave and gave. And, and, um... People forget about givers really easily. There's a lot of people in the world who just, you know, quietly take and then move on and they're like, oh yeah, I guess Dave did stuff. But but people who know, people who who look at what he did, go, my God. You know, the amount, the countless hours he put into helping build Canadian competition climbing to track points to, because he ran competition climbing in Canada for 20 years quietly and just did stuff and lots of people helped you know Andy Weldon was huge in that like uh you know Vicky Weldon Stacy Weldon Mike and Chris their dad um you know he was organizing for years Laurie Weldon became you know an internationally certified judge so you know there were lots of people who also gave mm -hmm. but Dave was the one who was there the whole time you know I think he was the first national coach for the World Cup in 1991 in Tokyo, when Will Gadd and Scott Milton were, were competing. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, Dave, Dave's, Dave's the real deal, and Dave, Dave did so much. Do you think that that, was that what inspired you to coach, or at least part of it? No, I'm, I'm gonna stick with, I, I tripped on that and fell into it. There must be more to it than that, though. Probably not. <laughs> I'm I'm an I'm a How very... did you what was how did you, how did you get a job coaching? I guess is going to be my very literal question trying to crack this egg. And I apologize for digging. No, dig away. Um I know I just started coaching. Actually, no. In 96 or so at the University of Calgary in the bouldering hallway. Um, I started running a, a little informal team of friends. Okay. Where I was notionally the better climber of the group. It doesn't mean much. It's not like I was a good climber, but within that friend sure. group, yeah. I, was, I was better. And so we started doing regular workouts where I'd run workouts and, and coach them and help them. And, and that dovetailed into um, picking up lessons at the CCC, which dovetailed into me running the team. And so then I did that for a lot of years. And then you stopped? When I had a kid. When you had a kid. Um, stop looking after other people's kids, start looking after mine. You're on my list. Why do you think mentorship is so important in climbing? But you've kind of already... So then what I was going to ask too is... Sorry, do you have... You took a breath. Yeah. yeah. Because here, here's a random moment of mentorship and, and the lady... Fuck yeah. She'll never remember this. But there's a lady by the name of Barb Clems. 
and Barb Clems was on the national team in 88, 89, 1991. Great years. Those years, you know, she was the the standard bearer for Canadian women for a number of years. She was badass, hard as nails, absolutely shredded, um, was on the cover of one of the earliest guidebooks out here. Yeah, I, I mean... Barb was the real deal. Um, and I was a scrawny, young, nobody. Right? Like, just, I was the kid at the gym. And she came over to me one day and tore me a strip for how I was playing and wandered off. And that was the first and only time I talked to Barb until like 10 years later when we were at the crag together. And I've never actually talked to her about this, but that doesn't sound like mentorship. But it is, because she cared enough to come over and fix safety. And exactly. That, and, and that is genuine caring. And, and that, that is community building. And that is making everybody better. And, and so... And, you know, I mean, I was cowering in my boots because it was... It was Barb, mm-hmm. right? And like, oh my God, she's talking to me. Yeah. That's how I felt with, at that time, like before I was friends with Sam, that's how I felt. And you totally, that what you said there was that, that doesn't look like, sound like mentorship, but it is because they care. Yep. Because they, because I mean like, who knows? Like Sam could have said nothing. <laughs> could have needs new pants. <laughs> um, this is good whiskey. This is good whiskey. That brings a tear to my eye. <laughs> it's the little things. Sam could have said nothing and I could have soloed Wicked Gravity and had a great time. Or I could have punted and died. But the fact that he cared enough and the fact that she cared enough. Yep. And the fact that Dave cared enough to skid to a stop in the ditch in a rusty Volvo and... And, and all these tiny little... The fact that... You know, the fact that Beans cared enough to drive to Oregon with me for a fucking snowy weekend. We woke up to the snowplow in the Walmart parking lot in Bend, like, plowing around us, like, being really passive-aggressive. And the fact that you care enough to, like, tell me, like, oh, like, 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 the way that you're a little bit of an ankle flick, you know what I mean? Like, that's mentorship. In this... Watching you hit that move was pretty cool, actually, because you made it look so trivial. Likewise, man. And I'm not just... And it's so cool that you and I can, like, look at this wall and, like, barely know each other and then have this growth and mutual learning and connection. One thing I like about... Uh, there's so much I like about climbing. Um, one of them is it's an incredibly egalitarian environment. I don't know what that means. Um, because... It doesn't matter if you're 18 or 46. It doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl. It doesn't matter if you're tall or short. But if you or die, climb at roughly the same level and have similar goals, we can climb together, right? It, it, there, there's no... Um, the, the only filters are, do we have the same goals and can I stand you? Yeah. Right? Those are the only filters to be partners. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not, oh, you're playing girls' basketball, I'm playing boys' basketball, so we can never play together. 
it, there's no, well, you're 18, I'm 46, it would be weird for us to hang out. No, climbing doesn't care. Yeah, it's climbing. Climbing does not care. And, and so some of my best partners are 20 years older than me, and some of my best partners have been 20 years younger than me. You know, one, one of the best people in the world for me to climb with is a girl named Kathy LaFlam out of Austria, who's just a lovely human being. And stronger than all of us. <laughs> but living in Austria, it's something in the water. You just end up being a good rock climber, I think. You think so? <laughs> I, I love that. And so the other thing I love about climbing, again in the egalitarian vein, is if you were a basketball player, let's say you loved basketball player, and you played pickup three on three every week down at the courts. What are the odds that one day you're playing pickup three on three and three guys walk onto the court and it's LeBron, Michael Jordan, and Larry Bird and they're like, hey, kid, you want to play pickup? I was just going to bring that up. The chance is exactly zero. But the chance of walking up to a crag one day and Adam Andra saying, um, could you give me a catch on my proj? You'd be like, yeah, sure, is massive because climbing again is egalitarian. It's like, and it's like you, like, like you and I were talking about when we were climbing and that it's this beautiful realization that your heroes, like there's this, like you were, you brought that example and then have you read Barry, Barry Blanchard's book? Yep. I love that part where he's talking about like, they're talking about doing red shirt and he's like, oh, I don't know. Like that's a Brian Greenwood route. And Kevin Doyle like grabs him and he's like, Brian Greenwood is just a man. We are just men. Kevin Doyle is a funny story. Kevin Doyle is a force of nature. There, there are a few people in the world like Kevin Doyle. Yeah, he seems... He is the only person who has ever picked me up and held me against the wall by my neck, screaming in my face. And that happened at Dave Dornian's stag. What the fuck? You're just going to leave it that? Yeah. <laughs> the ultimate tease? <laughs> no, that, I mean, that, that's it. I don't even remember what happened. I just remember thinking I hoped to breathe again. Oh my god. But will I have a beer with Kevin? Absolutely. Right on. I see him down at Cadence mm-hmm. every once in a while. I love talking to him. Cool. And he still bugs me about my shitty poetry. You're a poet? No, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> that's us. Um, but yeah, the point being that like our heroes are, we realize that our heroes are just dudes and I mean it's it's not like that that's... Except Fred Nicole. That right, man, of course. That man is a unicorn <laughs> with sunshine coming out of his anus. Okay, so everyone in the world but Fred Nicole is just a human. That's right. Fred, Fred Nicole is somehow better than all of us combined. He, he, he exudes um, talent and effervesces through problems. Jesus' hands are, are motioning him up the walls. Thor. <laughs> what I was going to say is that it's not like Michael Jordan is superhuman or any, you know what I mean? They're just dudes and climbing sort of, but there's a disconnect. Do you know what I'm trying to say? The disconnect is being the best basketball player in the world, you will have a thousand people telling you you're the best basketball player in the world, and you can exude dominance over other people. 
right? And so you can end up with the, the ego of somebody who dominates other people. Mm -hmm. And you look at climbing, and I'm not talking comp climbing, I'm talking rock climbing. You've never once exuded dominance over another person. It's not what climbing is. There's nothing to dominate, yeah. Climbing is purely about whether or not you can get over your own shit and whether or not you can get up that climb and whether or not you are strong enough physically and mentally to do the climb. That's not about dominating another person. And so you don't end up with some of those classic sporting egos that you get in other sports where you get the Michael Jordan who takes personal joy in destroying the opponent. And, and Michael Jordan's legendary for that. He is legendary for, you disrespected me, I'm going to spend the next 60 minutes making you look like a child. He's famous for it. And, and that's what his competitive drive pushed him to. Mm -hmm. But then you get really sweet people like Adam Andra, who's incredibly competitive, who wants, but he's not competitive against you. He's competitive against that piece of rock, which he's now in love with, that he's so psyched to climb. But then he can come down and turn to you and say, your turn, give it a try, it's awesome. Right, like uh, so, so climbing again, the very nature of climbing leads its leads its participants to different conclusions than many of the classic sporting endeavors. Just the ego thwomping that it delivers is so. And Adam Andra will always have his ego absolutely beat down, no like the rest how, of us. No matter how good he gets, he will always have his ego kept in check by the next piece of rock. Yeah, and in basketball, your ego can get inflated because you won the championship and you destroyed everybody yeah because there's an end game i guess just to I, am, I am now pouring that whiskey that is how many years older than you four that's plenty thank you four yeah that wow it was like the, this is a moment this is like the tears of scottish angels distilled and peated thank you very very much for sharing the distilled and peated scottish angels tears with me cheers My friend, my really, really good friend, Louis, is this French guy. And he says, Net, whenever you cheers with someone... How old is he? 21. Okay, different Louis. Okay. <laughs> he says, you drink and you make eye contact, Net. He said, never. Never don't do that. And I said, okay, I won't. <laughs> anyway, this is delicious. Jesus. This differentiate. Have you, have you experienced mentorship in other communities? Oh, of course. And what was it like in comparison to climbing? Uh, Not in terms of better or worse, of course, but just... I, I spoke about Stefan Yarche, um, my coach when swimming. And the mentorship there was very different. Um, because... Well, I mean, a lot of it is... Oh, my God. In, oh, the scotch? In swimming, you spend most of your time with your head underwater and you can't talk. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, there was mentorship at work. You know, there, there were people at, at my office who, who looked out for me when I was young and stupid and making mistakes that would cost the company thousands of dollars. What do you do? Uh, I manage the contract department for whatever company feels like giving me money. Okay, so sure. So your company needs a contract with another company. I'm the guy who writes it. Okay. Um, and how was this mentorship that you've received in other communities... 
how is it different to the mentorship you received in climbing? I know that's kind of a big question, and so take your time. Uh, I think it's a fascinating topic. It, uh, in in uh, in climbing, it's more organic. In climbing, it's more about existing with each other, and existing through experiences together. Mm-hmm. In a working world, it's far more formulaic, because here's the way that you're supposed to do things: X, Y, then Z. And last time you did X and then half of Y, and so Z never happened, and this is Y. And so, so it, it's, it's more formulaic. It's more about, here are the rules about the job. Climbing has fewer rules. Climbing is... It's whatever you want it to be, yeah. Well, I mean, climbing is a string of arbitrary goals, usually about going upwards, right? And, and so, so nobody cares. You're really. damn right it is. But nobody cares if I do a certain climb using my right foot on that foothold or my left foot on that foothold. Nobody cares if you do that certain climb. At the end of the day, you're right. The only person who actually gives a toss is you. Mm-hmm. So the mentor- mentorship in climbing is a, a far more organic thing, um, far more based on relationship and trust. Rather than an end goal? Rather than an end goal, absolutely. It's about you know a continuity of partnership and sharing space and sharing experiences and i guess also that thing in swimming though that had such an impact on you the that th- wasn't angle oriented no that was stefan reaching past the sport wow Be- because he totally was, he wasn't mentoring me in swimming he was coaching me in swimming and he was telling me you know make sure your pinky enters the water first at this point sure, yeah. and and you turn like this and he was very good at that but the mentorship that Stefan was giving me was outside of the pool. And he was, and, and he was looking out for me. And, and I didn't appreciate until so many years later the little things he was doing for me to try and help me calm down and be less twitchy and just relax a little and let me be me rather than worrying so much about everything and being so neurotic. I liked what you said about reaching past the sport. I th- and I mean, well, if... I think that actually, um, sorry, sorry to cut you off. No, um, that defines a lot of how I coached. Um, That's perfect. I was, I was, yeah, I was going to ask you about c- coaching a little bit. I really tried to to base my coaching on the concept of build a relationship with the athlete, because if you. Um, Let's say you are the world's best technical coach and you have the best programs and all the science, but your athletes don't really trust you or get along with you. They're going to not do as well. They're not going to want to work for you. They're not going to trust you. They're not going to buy in. You can have an average program, but your kids love you and they show up every day and they want to work and they will do anything you ask and they try as hard as they can because they love you. You'll get better athletes. I mean, like, you're talking about relationships. Like, I, as I told you before, part of the reason that sparked the desire to do this interview is Tyson Martino spoke so highly of you. And he said, like, and before we even did the interview, he always talked about, like, oh, man, Canute did this or Canute did that or, like, Canute taught me this. And That's funny because he's a terrible human being and most likely to end up as a criminal. Oh my, we both know that's bullshit. <laughs> um, 
whatever you do, that gets in the... the oh, the no, that, this product. will get in for him, you know. Um, and it's so clear that your formula is working. I don't yeah, want to, yeah, you know... Yes and no. Yes, yes and no. It's it's easy to, to look at the positive and say, obviously it worked because Tyson climbed 14A this summer. Not but, even but, that, but just because... And you'll learn when I when I when I release the like because I'm gonna the plan is to do both of yours as one episode. I think that'd be really cool. I don't even think you realize, and I'm sure people have come up to you and thanked you. I hope so at least. But the no, the, they usually just hand me their therapy bills. <laughs> Fuck off, <laughs> Canute, you've damaged me. Um, <laughs> the effect that you had on Tyson's life, not his climbing. Sure, Tyson climbed 14A, and I'm sure you had something to do with that. But the thing is, is if I'd been a different coach, a better coach, he would have done 14C. Right? So, 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 hmm. so you ask yourself part of the coaching. So maybe he became my friend. And he is. I, I love the guy. He, he's an incredible young man. Um, maybe we've had some great times together. Fact, we have. Um... But was that the goal of him being on a competitive climbing team? Technically, no. The goal of being on the competitive climbing team was for him to kick ass. And had I been a better coach, had I had better science, had I had better grounding, had I had better skill sets, mental training, any of those things, could he have been a better climber? And I would, I would posit that the answer is unequivocally. If he had had Mike Doyle as a coach, he would be a better athlete today. Guaranteed. Mike Doyle is the single best coach I've ever seen. One of the beautiful things about Mike is he knows it. But Mike is the single best coach I've seen. And had Tyson had Mike, Tyson would be a better climber today. But do you think that... And I don't, I don't know, and so I'm just asking. You talked earlier about relationships. Do you think... And it, I mean, you know, we can play the do you think game or the what, and the what if game. That's fucking bullshit. But marry, fuck, kill. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Connection is what drives things, right? Like, if you're connected to a problem, you'll do it. If you're connected to a person, you'll listen. Marry Tyson, fuck Sam. Oh my! Kill God. Matt Lucas. <laughs> train of thought is completely shot no it's gone it's gone now it's just going through all of those different <laughs> scenarios and i hate it <laughs> i'm just imagining you and sam at the altar <laughs> sam gets like a, ta- a canoe tattoo or something <laughs> um anyways oh poor matt yeah way to throw him under the fucking bus dude <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to say to Matty Ice if he li- if he listens to this? Matt, you'd understand. <laughs> right on. Um, but what I was going to say is that we can play this game all you want, but you said connection is important in your coaching method, whether it's the best or whatever. I don't think it's my coaching method. 
I, th- I think. The, yeah. So I, 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 I just genuinely feel that you have to establish a bond between the athlete and the coach to some level. What that level is depends on the coach, the athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, but you hear like World Cup tennis players. You, you, you talk about the Federers and, and, and the, the Serena Williams and how important the relationship between them and their coach is. And it, it's, it's a fundamental part of coaching is trust. Um, you have to trust that the coach has your best interests at heart, that the coach genuinely cares about you, that the coach knows what he's talking about. You have to believe that. I kind of have it, a tough question for you. I'm sorry to interrupt it. Just I, I wanted to get it while I could. Did you always? Did I always what? Have the best interests always genuinely care did you have kids that you guaranteed on, hated nope. did you guaranteed on all counts on that one that, fuck yeah dude. that that no matter which athlete i had and and there were athletes that i didn't that i didn't particularly connect with yeah but that didn't change my underlying goal of i wanted the best for them and and there were kids that i failed there were kids that i unequivocally failed um are there any that stick out if you don't mind talking about it Derek murphy Kid okay. called Derek Murphy, talent. He was a talent. You know what I mean? Like I mean, he was, he was, gifted and strong, and smart. Um. But, but his his vibe and my vibe didn't click. And um, I tried to coach him, but I couldn't connect with him well enough and 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 yeah i i i absolutely failed i i absolutely failed that kid and and do you think you failed him or because it almost sounds like it just no i absolutely failed him that's on me that there there's there's no ifs ands or buts about that one that one's on me um he came along early in my coaching career i didn't have the entire tool set that i had later so yeah that's what i was gonna say too is so I Did, was I, Derek Murphy a, a learning experience? Absolutely, my tool set grew by coaching Derek, but I let him down. I I I could have been such a better coach for him, and, and you know he he could have been really something special. Um, sure, that's not solely on you though. Nah, the the the, you don't look to the athlete. To create the coaching dynamic. That's what the coach is supposed to do. That's part of the job description. You know, like that's that's the resume requirement. Create a coaching dynamic. Is you you are paid to be there to do a job. And that job and whatever it takes, that job is to create the relationship to have the athlete perform well. And so could I have been better by Derek? Guaranteed. Uh Amy Miller. Dima Caraman, these are athletes who I feel I could have done a better job for. In what ways? Different. They're all different. They're all different. Just pick one, I guess. If you don't mind. Yeah, feel like you don't have to talk about it. Amy was the byproduct of an unfortunate experiment where he split the coaching duties, and it didn't work. And and she was, um, you know, I mean, she was a, a young athlete who felt neglected by the head coach. Because of the the 
the experiment we set up in there's terms a lack of, of trust yeah absolutely absolutely um derek what i failed derek because i didn't really get where he was coming from where was he coming from he was coming from the standpoint of a young gifted athlete who needed a coach to to steer him in the right directions and i didn't as an athlete i didn't i didn't i didn't didn't manage to break through and and have him uh grow in the right way as an athlete um Yeah. So it, it's different. Totally. And and actually, you know, like I mean, I'll pick on Sam Tucker for a second. I there there were days where I was not the best coach for Sam. Uh, and you know, Sam probably could have been a better athlete had I done things differently. Had I been a better coach. And 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 I feel that about actually every athlete. Every single athlete could have been better had I been better how it is mm-hmm. but I mean um, a part of coaching I guess is that your your coach your hero you no one's perfect and there is no and the and you can't I mean no but you're, you're right you're right and so I think I think with some some athletes I did an acceptable job could have been better but but I did okay mm-hmm but but the Derek Murphys stand out as wow, I really let you down, guy. And, and you know, like I mean, much like climbing, coaching highlights your failures and and makes you rely on your strengths. And Derek was was uh, was one of the ones that I didn't do a good job by. Um. I would argue that there there's another young man that I was a great coach for. That's what I was going to ask is we've kind of covered that and in the name of my background to radiate positivity. Um, mm-hmm. What is there anyone that sticks out? And you can talk technically if you want to, but I guess I'm, to be honest, there's a lot of our friends and a lot of people you've coached that are fucking strong. That is what it is. And that's, that's awesome. It, okay. But that, that's not about me. Sure. Like, and I guess what I'm going to say is exactly, and that's what I'm going to say is Sam, Sam Tucker could have been a kid at the gym for ten years with no coaching, and he'd still be really good because he's just built that way. And so that's what I was going to say is what impact are you proud of? Are you, what is what is something that is a fork in someone's life that you've had a? I'm an not going to pick anybody's life. What I'm proud of as a coach is when I started, I had six athletes, and when I left the program, I had 150 athletes. What does that number say? Um, that, that what Walson built and I was a part of resonated with people. And, and really, all of this comes back to Walson. Wal- Walson, much like Dave Dornian, has given more to the community than the rest of us could possibly understand. And, and Walson's mantra from the word go was build community. All he ever wanted was to build community. And, and he did such a good job of that. And for years, there were these these groups of people coming out of Walson's gyms that loved each other. And 
he used to throw these great big parties and you look at these parties and at the same party there's you know a 14 year old sam tucker a 55 year old dave dornian um a whole hockey sock of random climbers um the entire weldon family was there mom dad four kids the entire muller family was there mom dad whichever kids came that party you know like perhaps that's the great that that's Walson perhaps I was gonna say but perhaps that's a symbol of of someone that's done a really good job and that does it for the right reasons is that it's just behind the scenes you just do it because you want to and there is you know because you go into it's interesting that you say that because I go into Rocky today and I stop and I see my one friend and I talk to him and then I see my other buddy and then my friends are having a fill wall session. I go there and then I go upstairs and I talk to you for a bit. And then I talk to Simon, who's I talk to about some stuff. And Simon's a goddamn legend. He's fucking awesome, dude. That guy rocks. You know he's a national champion. I do, yeah. Okay. Luke and Sam have kind of given me the rundown a little bit. But anyways. Oh, yeah. Like there, there was he's a, a badass. Wild, there was a while there where there was, you know, no comp he couldn't win. Mm-hmm. Anyways. And the fact that I, you know... I've stepped in the gym and now all of a sudden I'm greeted with my friends and with people that want to see me succeed and people that will tease me and make fun of me and we can laugh together. And the fact that Walson inadvertently, if it wasn't for Walson Ty, is that his last name? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Fuck, I love thank God. I, I love that he had to ask. Dude, I was so, exactly, that I had to ask, but yeah, that but, he's the... Well, it, it's like Cher or Prince or, you know, like you don't need, you don't need a second name. It's Walson. Yeah, that's a good point. Right? And it's also just... Do you know what I'm trying Walson, to say, though? you're like Cher. <laughs> do you know what I'm trying to say? That, that behind-the-scenes work is... It's beautiful, and it's also a representation of someone that's that's there for the right reasons and that's done a damn good job for the right reasons. Walson's done more than a lot of people realize. Yeah. More than I've realized, for sure. He paid for an endless parade of starving athletes to go to comps. Um, you know, like he, he made things happen. He's, he's actually the best thing Calgary has. Calgary climbing owes a, such a staggering debt to Walson Ty. He'll never admit it. He'll hate me for saying this, but we all do. Cool. The only reason I was ever a coach was because Walson. The only reason and I there's ever this domino, right? Was because Walson. The only reason I know Pete Woods was because Walson. The only like you know and like, the and like it's this like I said it's this dominance. The only reason that you ever coached was Walson, and then the only reason that those kids like Tyson that you had such an impact on that are that have gone on to be happier, better people because of you. And same thing, whether you like to admit it or not, and whether you like to be harder yourself no, or not. No, see the thing is, is it, but do you know is, what I mean? Tyson. Tyson was Tyson. I didn't change Tyson. No, you didn't. Tyson? But you inspired him. Nah. And you inspired him to be more of himself. I, you can say no, but I think that that's true. But, <laughs> but, but Tyson was also inspired by Sam and Tyson. Of was course, inspired, the same but, way that you're inspired by Dave Dornian and Sam. You know what I mean? Is what I'm saying is that, and that all. And it's so beautiful with climbing that, like, like we were talking about earlier, it's a mosaic. It's because of Walson, but it's also because of you. And it's, I think sometimes it like, is good to step back and appreciate the community. Boulder, the gym, sure, exists because of Walson. 
because Walson supported the Mullers for years mm-hmm. and gave them a venue to train and, you know... Let That's them, fascinating, let, isn't it? Let them climb for free, and then that grew into the next thing. And, you know, like... Um, there, there are kids in Montreal who are coached by people that were coached by Walson. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and so it, it keeps on giving. You get these trees... And are more like um, root and branch, where it where it's all, it starts at something and then spreads and then spreads again and spreads again yeah. and and you end up with these, these trees. And the funny part is, is you know I'm singling Walson out, but Walson, as a young climber, was inspired was inspired by, by somebody. Exactly what I was gonna say. What's funny is one of the people that inspired Walson was Dave fucking Dornian. You know, Dave really is one of the linchpins. I don't even think Dave realizes what a linchpin he is. <laughs> and isn't that funny, though, that there's such... It's a highlight of that the fact that everything we do matters and that those little conversations matter. But it's also this beautiful thing that climbing is a microcosm of in humanity, and I firmly believe this, in that we can draw inspiration from anywhere and anyone and our relationships, big or small matter. We've, we've talked about so many, they probably wouldn't even remember this moments. Yeah, true. And I bet people have, and I bet the people that we're talking about have, they probably wouldn't even remember this moments. And I bet those, you know what I mean? Can I tell you my favorite thing that happens through or from coaching, please is people that have coached for years and years and years. So the Sam's, the Remy's, the Kathy's, I coached these people for many years mm-hmm. And then them coming up and saying, their first experience meeting me. <laughs> and it's universally intimidation and terror. And I love that. I, I vibe <laughs> on the fact that these people were absolutely crapping themselves that they were meeting Knut. It the makes first, me happy. The first time that I met you. Oh, God. Was it Asafail? I don't know if you remember this. Nope. And I was trying Altius. And... Did I, didn't... did I say something like, please, for the love of God, use your feet? No, okay, no. Okay, good, good. You didn't. You looked... This is too... And Beans, it's funny. Beans has another... You, you won't even remember this moment. But Beans said, like, a huge moment in his climbing was when you looked at him after he got off Sweet Thing, and you said, Beans, you don't suck. <laughs> and he was like, oh my God. <laughs> but you... I was trying to figure out the beta, and you, like, came up. I didn't ask for it, and I'm glad. And it was, and you can't. You said, "Get the heel hook on there." You said, "Go to the sloper," and then back flag. And then you looked me in the eye, and you said, "And then take a deep breath and back flag twice as twice as hard, and then back flag like a motherfucker or something like that." And I was just like, "Okay." I do remember. And that was the first time I ever back flagged. I think. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow." I do. And so it's that. funny that you say that. Um, we're running on time, and I'm. I should. Yeah, we're, this has been amazing. Um, the last I've, thing I've been enjoying talking to you. Likewise, it's been awesome, and I really appreciate it. The reason I enjoy talking with you is because of what we talked about at the beginning of this entire night, which is my impression of you is you're just a climber who's psyched, and right there that lumps you in the same category as Adam Andra, Chris Sharma, you, the, the Boone Speeds of the world, the Dale Goddards. There's a guy you've never heard of, Dale Engelkirk. He yep. was just a guy who was fucking psyched. 
and he was more psyched than he knew what to do with. So he just did it more. I like that a lot, and I appreciate that. And I mean, I I appreciate psych. You talk about Mike Doyle, Mike Doyle, who who I've spoken of previously tonight, who is the finest coach I've ever seen, because he had he had everything, and he had everything in the right balance. And, and that was the key. He had the balance between all of it, between discipline and respect, mm-hmm. between technique and passion, between relationship and and um, discipline. You know, like he had the right balance. But even Mike is just a guy who fucking loves to climb. And what are you doing tomorrow? Thinking about climbing, breathing, climbing eating chalk sprinkled on my breakfast cereal you know like it's just he wants to climb and you ask him tomorrow what are you doing climbing what are you doing the day after that resting for climbing exactly yeah what are you doing next week i'm going surfing for a week because it's that point in my training period for climbing where i need a week off so i'm gonna go surf and then i mean climb you know what i mean and it's And, and it's like you said to me like we came downstairs and Knut has this wonderful home wall that's fucking awesome. And he said, I bought this place and I had two pots and a pan. I didn't have any furniture and I built this wall and then I slept on the mattresses that protect it. That's true. I, and I, that's the psych. That's the power of the psych. I lived out of four large Tupperware bins and a climbing wall for the first, I don't know, six months I was in this house. And then I bought a couch. <laughs> And then I balled out and I bought one fucking couch. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so let's wrap this up. This is kind of a cliche, but what is one lesson or mantra that you want to pass on to the next generation, if you could? If you define success as sending a route, you'll spend 99% of your time climbing unhappy. Because when you're trying hard, it's a thousand fails and one send. If you define success as going through the process and I learned a little bit about this move and I stuck that hold a little better this time and for the first time I realized that if I move my toe like that it works like this and you and you define success as each one of those individual victories along the way you'll be a happy climber and the ones who only define success about the send don't stick with climbing that long. They burn out. Yeah, because sends are few and far between. You, Lev, at least they should be. Lev Pinter projected Bunda de Fora for four, five years. I don't know how many days and how many, how many falls. But every time he tried, he enjoyed trying. He enjoyed the process. He enjoyed the first time he stuck the drive-by off the undercliff. He enjoyed figuring out that squirrely foot placement. Like, each one of those things he enjoyed. So if you can define climbing through that lens, redefine success away from the send and towards each incremental bit of the process, climbing becomes a much better thing. That would be my mantra. Redefine success. Thank you very much. That was awesome. These interviews gave me a deep, deep appreciation for the teaching that our friends offer us, for the inspiration that our friends offer us, 
and the fact that that can come from any interaction with anyone at any moment and be completely monumental. Thank you to Canute and Tyson for their friendship and their teaching and their words. Um, and thank you for listening to Mountain Mosaic. Um, be kind, try hard, and break out of your cage and get this.